there is no way to give a bribe. As former Estonian president Thomas Ilves used to say, but it's very hard to bribe a computer. <laughs> so if there is no human interaction, hard to bribe. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to your podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Ann Pinkerton, and thank you to Resource Labs for having us on their network, and welcome to all of you Earthlings who found us through that community. Uh, feel free to follow us on social media. We have a Patreon page now that you can subscribe to to support the show. Share this show with your friends and family, anybody you think who would enjoy it, or don't. You know, you're welcome not to do any of those things because we appreciate you just the same. On today's episode, we are exploring a future that frankly for me can't come too soon because I hate filling out government forms. I hate going to the DMV. I hate doing my registration. I hate doing all these little tedious items that seem to require way more effort and uh, than they really need to, frankly. So we're talking about e-governance today. Like imagine handling everything from like your DMV registration to voting online through the internet. There are places around the world where you can do this now. In fact, if you're lucky enough to live in Estonia, e-governance is already your reality in a big way. So this is naturally where we are going to start our exploration of this topic. And we're going to cover what aspects can and can't be done online because there are a few that for specific reasons, people have thoughtfully decided, nope, you have to do that in person. And we're going to talk about some challenges companies face in implementation and also what's being done to ensure inclusivity and um, make sure that everybody has access to these systems, even if they have low digital literacy. Our guest today is a senior expert on e-governance, and he's provided his expertise to governments from Central Asia, Southeast Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Hello, I'm Hannes Astok. I'm executive director and senior expert in Estonian e-governance academy. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, so, you know, Estonia is famous for its online government services, and there's a lot of consumer-facing online services. Um, so what are some of the, maybe you could first start with explaining what does it mean by online government, and um, what are some of these services? First of all, it's uh, sharing the information online about government activities. So it's like a, 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 on the one side, a transaction or sharing information. Second, it's, um, it's definitely uh, various sets of online services where citizens can, and businesses can engage with the government and, and also fulfill all necessary applications, submit them, and in ideal world also get immediate uh, response or answer or service already from the government. And last but not least, it is about citizens' engagement uh, to the decision-making processes and uh, and the uh, planning of the life of a society by, by various organizations of a government. There's a lot of consumer-facing services, uh, and but there's also some other aspects at work. Yeah, it all starts uh, from the back office of, uh, of a government. So more you have digitalized your back office in the government. So this means 
digital databases, digital maps, digital uh, um, whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever could be digital. This provides kind of basis for the, for the digital government and digital services. And uh, on the top of it, by using secure technologies and uh, keeping in mind privacy and uh, data protection issues, you can build already various services either to inform the citizens, either be proactive uh, to inform citizens about their upcoming life events maybe, and advise them based on it. Uh, you can provide directly services for the citizens and businesses. And, and last but not least, definitely government can use uh, uh, various data sets, both what they are using uh, or collecting in personalized manner about citizens and businesses, but also a lot of um, uh, sensor-based data also for the planning purposes, both for the, for the city planning, like how to plan roads, schools, hospitals, whatever services, or also how to assist citizens to uh, to estimate and um, and plan their their upcoming life events. Uh, if your kid is uh, getting seven years old in Estonia, he or she needs to go to school. So it's uh, it's possible that government could be proactive and already a year before can can inform the, the parents about schooling options. What are the closest schools? What are the options where? How to get there? And so on. So, um, so uh, not wait until parents starting to register the kid to a school, but rather being proactive by by providing various various options for the citizens. So, so this is in in nutshell. But anyway, um, the digitalization of uh, online of the transactions between uh, the government and citizens. It's not only copying existing paper-based stupid bureaucracy to the digital world, but rather simplifying the services uh, as much as possible. Mm, okay. So uh, how did all of this come about? What were the circumstances that led Estonia to becoming such a pioneer in e-governance? In Estonia, when we started the uh, digitalization of the government in Estonia uh, at the middle of 1990s, Estonia was just regained its independence and uh, and uh, we had really very limited resources to run the government. So this means that uh, we were pretty innovative and as at the middle of the uh, uh, 90s also like a wave of personal computerization was starting. It was kind of intuition of a years young government leaders that we can do something better with computers and avoid endless paper bureaucracy that is slow, ineffective and uh, and open for the corruption. As a new government, we started almost all databases from the scratches. We didn't inherit almost anything from Soviet Union. So in this sense, the back office became digital almost immediately the data became digital and as today the demand from the citizen side is high to get the services online because the the benchmark for the citizens are like airline companies if i want to buy a round world trip by by plane i can do it in 15 minutes online so why I cannot register my kid to the school online? Why I cannot replace driving license online? Why I can do a lot of much more simplified procedures online in real time? This is the question what citizens are asking and the government should respond. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that uh, analogy because it's true, right? 
I can do it here. Why can't I do it there? And I, I, I find it fascinating that uh, they do say, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And you, you are at this moment in time where, you know, in the, in the early 90s, you know, computers were really taking hold in our, in our society. And you didn't have a mainframe computer to have to use, right? So you would adopt naturally the next generation of technology, whereas other governments have such legacy technologies in these, these older systems and pushing paper and everything like that it makes it very difficult to 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 quickly evolve into a, a fully online experience how do you think estonia's approach to e-governments is different than what's being done in other places around the world yeah thank you it's a good question and um, we in e-governance academy are discussing about it a lot also and, and actually it's not that much different i think estonia was pioneering a lot of things and we did a lot of things by intuition uh what is right and what is wrong what to avoid and uh, uh, this model what we have developed here in estonia is very much suitable for the most of the governments so first of all you need to build uh, also digital government like block by block so you can replace the blocks if, if one of the technologies is getting out of date so you can replace it easily so basically there are like a building blocks is uh there should be databases, uh, but they should be also kept separately, not that in one monolith. Because if you build a big monolith, you must keep it and run it, and to replace it, mm-hmm. it's cost you a fortune. And if it fails, everything fails. But oh, if yeah. you have modular pieces, you can fix them, you can replace them, you can up, uh, update them. Uh, so, uh, so this allows to be more flexible, but also more resilient to various various risks. And uh, and I think today the technology can do a lot, but it should be again this kind of decentralized architecture. What is also like uh, today very much used, like a blockchain, or also in. Uh, in uh, like a Bitcoin uh, and this kind of type of transactions looks to be more resilient in long run than this kind of monolith approach and also more approach uh, accessible for the governments in this sense financially. So you can build block by block. You need to don't need to buy everything in once and, and then struggle with it for the next 20 years. <laughs> Well, I can imagine if you're doing things block by block and one block goes down, the whole thing doesn't go down with it because you know everybody's going to let you know if something's down, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what are some of the limitations of e-governance? Like, what can't you do? We've talked about you know voting and, and your DMV registration or uh, you know signing your kids up for schools and those kinds of things. But what I did notice is that uh, divorce is not one of those things that in Estonia you can do online, right? You have to do it in person. Yes. And, and again, there is like a free services today, what you cannot do online. It's marriage, it's divorce and real estate transactions. It's easy to organize it. You can marry online. Uh, technically, it's, it's very much doable. Two people submitting applications, providing digital signature and marriage is signed, basically. Right. We can do. We can do it. It's possible. But the question is, is uh, yeah, but we, we don't use it just right because uh, because it's the question that is it good idea if if two people are doing it uh, both are probably in the pub and it's two a.m. in the morning. <laughs> 
And after the next morning, when I wake up, I may think that this, but it was not the best idea. So, so <laughs> they have this problem in Vegas too. <laughs> exactly the same problem, actually. So, so basically, the question is that uh, uh, in some cases we need to protect citizens against themselves. The same is with divorce. It's not just people that are separating. It's usually like a lot of real estate issues, hitch rights. Again, with real estate, will of one person to sell the property and another person to buy the property. It's not a technical issue. We can technically arrange it easily, but it's again, it's about how to protect citizens against themselves. But someone could push me and motivate with me with small machine gun on the front of computer to sign. Yes. real estate transaction and this is what machine do not see like you say there's um there's uh, an opportunity for coercion on with some of these um items that are basically contractual agreements either coming together as two people breaking apart as two people um real estate transactions property transactions these are contracts and you you want to know 100% that um every, each party is coming into this agreement of their own volition and no one's being coerced, right? Yeah. So, but it's, a, it's about discussion in one or another society. Maybe in one country it's acceptable what is not acceptable culturally in another country. So it's up to every society to decide it. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, and that, that actually gets to another question I had, which is, um, some people think that as soon as you take everything online, it's just rife with privacy and security concerns and um, it just worse than if everything was um, done the old school way, if you will. How do you react to those concerns? Basically, if you really want, you can go to government office and do it in paper, if you want, if you wish, it's possible. But, uh, but anyway, you need to consider that after you do this transaction in paper in the government office, the, the government official taking this data and submitting it to the information system anyway. It is all about how government handles the data in digital format and who can access the data. And this is about how we actually trust the government. And second part is definitely that, um, that uh, uh, it's, it's, it's up to us up to every society, do we want uh, very well protected, let's say paper-based government, what is slow, ineffective, costly, or we want something uh, what is modern, available 24-7. So this is what we need to discuss with our citizens and ask what you accept. And politicians must make decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is no risk-free life anyway. Ah, oh, that is very true. Yes, thank you for that reminder. <laughs> um, the uh, a lot of the excitement around um, e e Estonia's e-governance uh, activities is centered around this concept of e-residency. That you can have an e-residency and be a, a an e-resident of Estonia uh, while not actually living in the country. How does that work? Yeah, the, the e-residency is kind of, I should say, large-scale experiment that is still going on, and we, we just don't know where it leads us still. <laughs> so, so basically, you get uh, e-residency, and it provides you certain privileges as you are recognized by as a person by the government. So it's easier for you to establish business in Estonia, 
and then do business related uh, transaction, open the company, report the company issues to the tax authority and statistics authority and other authorities, and then also uh, hopefully ho open the bank account. But you do not get any any citizen rights. You do not get any taxation. So so this is more or less uh, today related to uh, to opportunity to do business in Estonia. There is a pretty good business environment uh, globally mm, acceptable. So so you're establishing. Uh, uh, an e-residency, but you're not getting specific uh, rights as a citizen, so you're not getting a passport, and you're not voting, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't get any any active citizen rights. <laughs> <laughs> but it does allow you to set up a business in Estonia. So, do you see people setting up businesses uh, with the e-residency in order to do business specifically in Estonia or within Europe? broadly and they're establishing the company in Estonia how do you see people using uh, this benefit yeah people want to really do business in Europe especially those who are not living in in European Union uh, but also in some cases people who are living in European Union but their own countries uh, businesses environment is is not uh, sufficient for them but there is also a dark side of this uh, this uh, program also so banks are not very very, very enthusiastically taking it, but again, it's motivating our other financial services providers to be more innovative. Well, and speaking of this, um, you know, I understand banks and that know your know your customer, know your client experience. Um, it kind of gets to the larger question of corruption, right? And we've read that there um, there is a connection to e governance and. Um, a government's ability to fight corruption through e-government. So how does that work? Because to some people, it might seem counterintuitive. When we started all those processes in, Estonia, processes in Estonia, we probably didn't think that much about corruption issues or, or, or like taking down the corruption. But it looks to be more and more. And more you have digital government, less you have corruption. And there is like a, I think there is a couple of reasons for them. First of all, if there is no human connection, there is no way to give bribe. As former Estonian president Thomas Ilves used to say, that it's very hard to bribe a computer. Second is definitely that if a transactions are computerized also um, and properly done, so this means that there is no like uh, waiting lines and queues and other reasons uh, what are delaying the processes and someone wants to motivate also that uh, that um, uh, someone wants to speed up the process someone wants to slow down the process or someone wants to eliminate the process in total but anyway it's it's again that if it's digital if it's transparent and also visible online so and then finally maybe third aspect what i like to bring is that also that more we have uh, transparent data and more understanding about our population, about our properties and everything as a big data. It allows also government to make much more uh, data-based decisions rather than intuition-based decisions what politicians love to do. We've talked a lot about Estonia. I'm curious to know what other nations are making significant advance advances in e-governance, like really going for it. As e-governance academy has been working with more than 130 governments globally. And I, I'd like to bring two samples, just uh, one is Ukraine and another is Mongolia. You know, Mongolia is a huge country by territory, but pretty small uh, by population. 
but it's a it's a huge territory. It's like half of Europe, but only uh, only three million people are living there. And during the lockdown, we really developed a lot of services and and uh, redesigned them, uh, being accessible accessible online uh, and for smartphones for the citizens services online through their smartphones. Uh, so uh, and and the uptake of uh, of uh, online services comparing to the traditional paper based, and another country is Ukraine. As you know, Ukraine is in war already. Before the war, they did a lot uh, to digitalize the government and um, and put services online to the citizens. But now, during the Russian brutal aggression to Ukraine, you see it that those uh, those online services are really helping people in in uh, in really deep crisis situation. Uh, you know, uh, six million people had fled country. Ten million are internally displaced. Probably they grab their passport, but uh, most probably they do not have time to grab their educational degree documents or any other certificates. So how to how to get services from the government? How to prove that they they are who they are? What are their educational certificates? So Ukrainians managed to put them all accessible online. So, uh, so we can see that uh, the resilience of a government and society uh, could be improved very much. Uh, we had uh, a volcano eruption uh, and a heavy ash cloud in Tonga, in small Pacific, uh, South Pacific country. They had similar issue that uh, because of uh, digital infrastructure and already some civil, uh, digital services, they were able to restart the country after the electricity and connection was re-established. What about, we've talked a lot about sort of smaller countries. I'm curious to know, what's your opinion around scaling full-fledged e-governance efforts uh, in places like, you know, India or the United States where there's very high populations of citizens? Yeah, I think it's doable. It's uh, it's definitely demands much more efforts, but I think it's doable and again, uh, the scaling effect is could be could be great if a government of India is providing something in national level as a service for the citizens. So uh, so you can imagine how much money they can save if we can do it online rather than providing services physically to uh, one point something billion people. So so the cost efficiency could be could be tremendous. And so there is a lot of room for replication. Scaling up is easier because computers can do the, the same transaction endlessly. But again, country by country, case by case, culture by culture. It's very much a cultural issue, actually. <laughs> yes, I can absolutely. I mean, if you just look at, 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 at the concept of online voting, there are people who see the uh, benefit of it right away, and then there's others who are incredibly skeptical of it. All right, um, and and there's just I think there's just a a comfortability factor that comes um, with some of this incremental uh, online development that people you know you know if you think about it, 20 years ago people were really really nervous about using credit cards online to pay for something right and. I know a couple senior citizens in my life who will still never buy anything online with with only but one credit card, right? That they can they can keep track of, right? Because they're so concerned about it. And sometimes I feel like it's just a matter of people feel comfortable enough, and then you can move on to the next iteration of that digital development. As as culturally, people uh, feel feel like it's feel 
as people feel like it's safe to do so because they've experienced it, the world didn't end, you know, terrible things didn't happen. Okay, now it feels safe, then we can move on to the next level. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 step by step, especially for the older generation. And and again, sometimes people do not think what are that if I'm doing the credit card transaction in, in physical life, is it secure and safe enough? Okay, so my uh, my last question for you is is a, a forward-looking question. You said, what, 150 com- countries you've been working with um, to establish various levels of, of online services for their, their citizens. Where do you see e-governance evolving this century? What, what could we see in 25 years and 100 years? What's your vision? <laughs> yeah, in 100 years, I'm gone. So I don't care, <laughs> but uh, but I think in 25 years, what we can see that, uh, that first of all, I think most of our government are very much online. Uh, secondly, I think um, the monopoly of a government to provide the services may disappear also that uh, uh, governments may, in some cases, may like to decentralize the service provision, not maybe service itself, but service deliveries. Uh, secondly, uh, I think it's... Uh, much more will be available. Uh, and then also definitely a lot of microservices could be uh, available, but also could be automated. And then last but not least, governments hopefully during the last, next 25 years learn how to do user-friendly applications. My goodness, that'd be amazing. I appreciate what you're saying because I we know that there are certain um, demographics that might resist government support even though they fully qualify for it because of oh, whatever personal preference they might have but if an ai so a neutral what i would consider like a neutral party uh, were to send you a, a text message or something saying hey we noticed your your income has been reduced or all these factors have happened and did you know that you would qualify for this assistance and by the way we can automatically sign you up for it because we've got all your data right um uh i could i could see how people who are in need uh but are but are feeling apprehensive about actually uh taking the steps to actually ask for it could get could get help and and society um largely benefit from that yeah absolutely and also for those people who are just maybe have been doing a kind of low-paid job and now they are fired and and maybe they're like a literacy to understand government services is limited if also for this kind of people might be very helpful that you're just getting message and uh, by by pushing yes we start the process and you are getting uh, support soon Earthlings, I did not expect a conversation on e-governance to evolve into how AI could help people get the assistance on services that they have a right to just through a simple push notification and in their preferred language. Boom! Mind blown! So cool! Additionally, I really like this concept of how developing countries are going to have the opportunity to set up government services online with a fresh slate. You know, of course, there's a cost involved to these platforms, and I can see how, over time, the cost of administering services to a population is reduced 
when you have it efficiently online. I do have some interest in what Hannes said about how you can't bribe a computer, quote unquote. Uh, but you know, you can hack a computer and um, cybersecurity is definitely a real concern here in e-governance. And there's a lot of robust systems that are already in place in Estonia and other places around the world and other aspects of the global economy have figured out how to provide robust systems so it's not impossible. And you know, the world is becoming more and more digitized. Cybersecurity in general is a huge growth area and um, it's only going to become more and more robust and commonplace as the future goes on. So Earthlings, imagine what your future might look like if you could vote with the smartphone or have your government services literally one click away. What framework would you want for that future? What would you like to see? Tell us on social media and stay tuned for our next episode. Until then, Earthlings, we'll see you again on another turn of this beautiful blue-green space flower we call home. Hey listeners, this show is a part of the Resource Labs Network. It's a curated collective of industry leaders who are accelerating the clean energy transition. If you want to find out more, visit us at resourcelabs.co.